It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, June 16th, 2022. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this is Raven News. The Sitka Assembly is one step closer to putting a marijuana tax question out to the voters, but it will be a slightly lower tax than previously advertised. When the group met on Tuesday, it settled on an 8% consumer tax on cannabis products to go before voters in the municipal election this October. If the proposition passes, the consumer tax would replace the current 6% sales tax, and the revenue would go toward the Sitka School District's Student Activities Fund. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Initially, Assembly sponsors proposed a consumer tax on marijuana that would have gradually increased to 10 percent. But after hearing pushback from Sitkins in the cannabis industry, they reduced the highest tax rate to 8 percent. They also removed language that would have lumped the funding in with the city's annual allocation to schools. Sponsors intend that the revenue generated from the new tax is additional and specifically dedicated to student activities. Sitka High School teacher Mike Vieira said he appreciated the Assembly's approach and willingness to change direction mid-course. I am appreciative of the thoughtfulness in the way that the co-sponsors have gone about this discussion and their willingness to pull back and and talk to industry and work with them on a compromise and come up with something that, um, again, you are not deciding tonight. You're just deciding if the voters can decide. But during public testimony, the Assembly continued to hear some pushback from Sitkins in the cannabis industry. Mike Daly owns Northern Lights Indoor Gardens, a local dispensary and grow operation. Opposed to a tax increase, he said the assembly was focusing on the wrong thing. He said if they addressed Sitka's black market for cannabis, they'd have twice the tax revenue that they have now. I really believe you guys are going to stick us with another tax and you're going to end up putting us out of business. But I guarantee if there was guys making moonshine or something like that and selling it to kids, you guys would be all over that. But it's like, you guys could care less about the black market. And it's all over this town. No assembly members voiced concern with the concept of taxing marijuana at 8%. But Crystal Duncan remained concerned with how the funds would be applied by the schools. While she supported giving the schools more revenue, Duncan wanted assurance that the funds would be used with equity in mind. I'm kind of excited by the prospect of exploring how we can make this more accessible to the students who need it who were turned away a long time ago because their family, they just don't have that type of support to offer students. Maybe it's just a difficult thing for us to establish or figure out as part of this vote and how we would pass that money through. But if it's about equity, this doesn't bring equity. Assembly member Rebecca Hemshute said that wasn't necessarily something they could control. It, it wouldn't be the purview of this body to create the policies around this I feel, I feel like that's the work of the school board. But if we can eliminate one of the barriers, and a barrier to equity is the funding, then that's what we have the power to do. And even with the updated language, Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis remained concerned that they wouldn't be able to guarantee the funding would be truly additional, which was his ultimate hope for the ordinance. I don't see yet how this doesn't become just revenue replacement and instead of additional revenue to student activities. Um, If you want to get a little more complicated, essentially we're taking sales tax, which some sales tax does go to fund schools. We're pulling it out and we're very in a very complicated accounting method, giving it back to them for the exact same purpose um, in, in a year with a, a, a slight increase. Eisenbeis asked sponsors if they'd been able to figure out a way to ensure the money would be used as intended into the future. 
Assemblymember Kevin Knox said there are no guarantees in governance or politics, and things can always change. If you are uncomfortable with that change or you don't like changes that are being made, you go to the polls, you make changes there. Um, I think that's, that's the guarantee we have. Uh, this is going to give our community the opportunity to, to weigh in and, and, and take this opportunity. Um, I think there's the only guarantee that we have is death. So moving on from that, we, <laughs> we, uh, we have to trust the process. On that lighthearted note. <laughs> Ultimately, the decision to put a marijuana consumer sales tax on the ballot this fall passed on a 5-2 to two vote with Eisenbeis and Duncan opposed. It will come before the Assembly for a final reading on June 28th. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium kicked off construction of its long-planned hospital expansion earlier this month on Japonski Island. At the Sitka Assembly meeting on Tuesday, Search secured short-term permission to crush its own rock for gravel fill at the construction site. Search will already be blasting rock on the construction site, but needed extra permission from the city to process the rock. Megan Bozak leads Search's Lands and Property Management Department. She said the permit would reduce traffic in and out of the construction site. Without it, they'd need to haul in around 4,500 dump truck loads of gravel from out the road. And she said with Mount Edgecombe Medical Center nearby, they'd take extra pains to be considerate during construction. As you know, our patients are there. This is a healing place. We're dedicated to ensuring that there's uh, great practices for healthcare, And so we'll limit any dust and noise as much as possible. However, it is a construction site. And so anticipate that uh, rock crushing will be a noise that's associated just as loudly as other things that are happening. While hospital construction is planned through 2025, the temporary permit is only in effect from July through the end of this year. Facility Director Michael Poutney said of the 150 planned days of construction, they only plan to crush rock for 30 of them. Assemblymember Tor Christensen is the liaison to the Planning Commission. He said the group spent a long time deliberating the proposal before greenlighting it on a three-to-one vote at their meeting early in June. The consensus was that, yes, it's going to be kind of loud and dusty, but it's going to be loud and dusty over there anyway. And it'll get the job done faster and cheaper. And I think the clincher was the trucks going through downtown. Other assembly members supported the proposal and were glad that it would reduce traffic through town. But some voiced concern about the hours of operation and the impact it would have on the nearby residential community, particularly Coast Guard housing. City Administrator John Leach is a former Coast Guard commander, and he said many Coast Guard crew members work night shifts. And then air crews that sleep during the day so they can fly all night. Um, and same thing with maintenance crews that may be up working the midnight shift to 8 a.m. Um, they sleep during the day. So I, I know the Coast Guard will be cooperative with search and, and vice versa. So uh, I just want to offer that reminder to make sure that that uh, that cooperation happens. The assembly unanimously approved the temporary permit, which will be in effect from July through the end of the year.
A multi-week aerial survey of the sea otter population wraps up this month in southeast Alaska. Technology, artificial intelligence, and even some good weather have made the effort quicker than it's been before. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has contracted with an Idaho aerial surveying company called Owahi Air Research, or OAR. Since the middle of last month, a team has been flying the region and recording images of otters on the water surface using infrared cameras in the belly of their plane. At the same time, scientists are also recording video and using artificial intelligence to comb through the images and confirm otter sightings. Ben Weitzman is a wildlife biologist with Fish and Wildlife. He says that technology has made the effort much quicker and more efficient than past surveys. Which was flying low and slow, generally in a super cub on floats at 300 feet. We're now flying in a twin engine aircraft at about seven to 800 feet. Um, so a whole lot safer. Um, we're flying a little bit faster, but with the video footage and the, the imagery we get from our, our camera pods, we're getting two different data streams, so do, two different perspectives, as well as a permanent record. So with the increases in efficiency, safety, and the permanent record, it's kind of hard to argue with the, the advances taking us into the future um, with this survey. This year's research has also benefited from good weather in Southeast. It's the first time they've completed a region-wide survey in just one year, let alone a few months. The contractor has performed other wildlife research and wildfire mapping using the technology, but the use of infrared imaging is a first for region-wide look at Southeast's otters. Weitzman explains how that equipment is operated by an OAR technician. And using this augmented reality system, she is tagging each otter sighting and geo-referencing it in real time. So getting a GPS point and location for each observation. Um, and she sees them initially in IR and then can switch it to regular, what we call RGB uh, video and just watch the video to confirm that it is indeed a sea otter. The federal agency is required to produce a regular report on population status under the Marine Mammal Protection Act. The most recent dates back to 2011, when otter numbers were estimated to have topped 25,000 in the region. The survey crew started near Yakutat and worked its way south. It's also flying transects around 10 communities in the region. Weitzman has been flying part of the time with the survey crew. He compares what he saw to some of the research he did for his master's degree in Glacier Bay and Icy Strait a decade ago. And I was just surprised by kind of the, the density of high, high abundance groups, really large groups of sea otters um, in the region of Icy Strait, Cross Sound, which were there before, but just not, not as prevalent. Also working down out of Petersburg, sort of seeing that clear demarcation zone of if you survey to the, the west one day, you'll get a whole lot of otters. And if you survey to the east, you're not likely to encounter very many at all. The project is not cheap. The contracting costs are around a quarter million dollars, and the total price tag will likely end up around half a million dollars. By the second week in June, the team had finished surveying most of Southeast, with just the southern panhandle around Ketchikan to complete. They expect to be finished by the end of the month and hope to have a draft report out with a new population estimate by March of next year. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. (laughs) 